Christian said, this is not just something that's whipped up. In fact, you couldn't do it. It comes from people's hearts. And uh, we thank God for that. I made reference to a supermarket in close proximity to this church on uh, Friday evening. It's got a five-letter title. It begins with T. Got it? Got it, yeah. And uh, I understand that somebody came up to me afterwards and said, actually, they put on dis- uh, they, they're using some uh, Easter eggs this year with a Christmas message in them. So I thought I'd just better redress the balance. I mean, taking a little bit of a sort of... Um, apparently, another supermarket manager says, what on earth has uh, Easter got to do with Christianity? Well, it's got everything to do... <coughs> and that's why we're here this morning, not only here, but declaring the message, because something goes from here. And uh, I really believe that God's increasingly helping us uh, to take the message from here into all sorts of different contexts and around the room. There's all sorts of different work environments and where people uh, meet uh, their friends and influence them for the resurrection of Jesus. The only way I can describe Friday and Sunday is that um, I just get a sense, friends, that we've gathered together. With, there's, somehow there's, there's something growing in us, maturing in us as a church. And the only way I can, uh, that, that I can describe it is we really mean it. We really believe this amazing truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to read just a few verses of the Bible to you. You can just sit and listen to it. It won't be on the screen. But Luke 24, there's four books at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're what we call the gospel books, the good news books. And they're four different accounts of people that live very close to Jesus 2,000 years ago. And just as if there was an accident down on, on the island today, a traffic accident, and Rob came and sort of sorted everybody out, um, and uh, then there were four people sort of giving witness to what had taken place. You get four different takes on it. Because um, everybody would see it a bit differently. And then the police officers and the community officers would draw all that together and uh, build a picture. It's exactly the same with the Gospels. So the wonderful thing is that the Holy Spirit's inspired these words, but he's used human beings to communicate them. So here's a take from Luke on Resurrection Sunday. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices there prepared and went to the tomb. They found the tomb, uh, uh, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back, to the t- when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. These guys were going to change the world, but listen to the reaction. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary of uh, the mother of Jesus, and the others, and they told the told this to the apostles but they did not believe the women because the words they seemed uh, seemed to be saying were like nonsense peter however got up and ran to the tomb and bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened well the title for the message is going to go up on the screen uh, this morning and uh, in a minute there it is Oh, what a beautiful morning. <clears throat> That's the title, and uh, if you like musical theatre, you'll know that that is the lead song from the 1943 Rodgers and Hammerstein music, musical Oklahoma. 
And you've all got visions of Howard Keel now singing it. <clears throat> well, there's a far greater morning setting than the script of that particular uh, play. And the Bible reveals to us that this was an amazing morning. See, Luke's Gospel in 24 starts off on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. The Message Bible says, at the crack of dawn. And you know, great things happen in the morning. Some people say to me, I'm not a morning person. I was at a leaders event that Christian organized just before Christmas. I sat next to somebody just on my right. He says, oh, I'm no good before half 11, 12. I don't want to follow a leader that wastes half his day. And the conversation could have been opened up. So for me, he's going to bed far too late and he's not got his life sorted out. There's all sorts of chaos around him. And he's confessing as a leader that he's not on it until 12 o'clock daytime. Just, just for clarity, they come around seven days a week. Isn't that amazing? And uh, wonderful things happen in the morning. Not just in the morning, of course, but the Bible tells us that prayer takes place in the morning. Psalm 5 and verse 3, in the morning you hear my voice. There was an old uh, Pentecostal preacher that used to take that very literally and he was discipling young men in the ministry and he'd ring them up at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. He said, brother, are you praying? You know, Because early in the morning I will cry out to you. And then in the morning it's not only prayer but there's purpose because when the people went into the promised land, there was a great big city that lay before it with fortified walls called Jericho. And he says, early in the morning... They began to march around the city. And for six days once and seven times on the seventh day, and you know what happened, the walls came tumbling down. In the morning, there's provision because in Exodus 16 and 21, it says that the people collected the manna and the quail in the morning. You know that they complained. They thought that God had left them in the desert to wither away. But he wonderfully and graciously and faithfully provided food for them on a daily basis. And in the morning, they gathered their provision and in the morning, there's praise because Psalm 59 and 16 and 17 says, in the morning, a song of love goes to you. There's another psalm that says, I will awaken the dawning. I will arise and sing. So if you're not a morning person, I get all of that, but be careful, you might miss a few things because God's busy in a morning. And on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, at the crack of dawn, some of the women that had been close to the life of Jesus, as was the culture of the Eastern situation that they found themselves, went down to the tomb with spices to embalm the body of Jesus. And they couldn't find it. And I want to say today, friends, that this morning can literally change your life forever. It really can. You see, around this room, there are people that have found God in the morning. Probably not that leader I was talking about. God, I'll have to speak to him after 12 o'clock in the daytime. But people have found the Lord in the night hours. People have found the Lord in the evening. Of course, God's not confined to a time. But this morning, this resurrection Sunday morning, God comes close and draws every one of us to him. If you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in him, a Christian, that's what a Christian is. We can overcomplicate it at times, but it's simply someone that's committed to be a follower of Jesus and his ways. This morning, you can commit to him. It may be that you're a believer here this morning, and as Christian prayed, there may be some issues, challenges, knockdowns that have come to your life. But this morning, you go away with your faith renewed and freshly envisioned to live for God. So three things about the morning. 
that great morning. Number one, it was a morning of wondering. The women came with their spices to hand to where Jesus supposedly lay and the tomb was empty and the stone had been rolled away. And it says in verse 4 that they were wandering. It literally means in the original language of the New Testament that they were at a loss, they were perplexed, they were bewildered. And for us, it's easy to read the Bible backwards and say, I knew God were going to sort it all out. Jesus was going to raise from the dead. We knew he were going to come through. But these guys were in it. And they pinned their hopes on the Christ for three and a half years. They followed him. They adhered to his teaching. They listened to his ways. And yet somehow still not got in. And it seemed as though everything was falling apart. And they were wondering, All hope, gone. What a wonderful video that was. And one of the people of Arena Church that was on that video said that the death and resurrection of Jesus caused them to have hope for the future. There are many people, friends, that live in our society today, right on the doorstep of this church, that have no hope for the future. They are wondering, they are bewildered, they are perplexed. They feel that everyone and everything has left them. And it may be that you're here this morning thinking exactly that, but it can change. Not only a morning of wondering, but also a morning of declaring, because two men, described in other uh, versions of the Gospels as angels, came came to the women. In their fright, they bowed down their faces to the ground. But the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? Good question. He is not here. He is risen. And there are many traditions of the Christian faith all around the globe today, starting in the South Sea Islands, way before we got up this morning, right across Asia and the subcontinent, and then through uh, the Middle East and Central Europe to the UK, and then us passing the baton over the Atlantic to North and South America, where this morning millions and millions of people are declaring that Jesus is risen. Some will do it like this, the Lord is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah. And that's a great... I just love the fact, friends, that that's resounding across the earth today. The morning of declaring the resurrection of Jesus. And that word resurrection simply means being raised from the dead. Of course, this declaration is going to be opposed and contested for. And people are going on blogging sites this week, deriding the resurrection of Jesus, and talking to Christians as though, They've not got a brain. But here's the truth, friends. The enemy knows what this truth is riding on. You see, the Bible clearly teaches us that if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the dead, this morning would have been a complete waste of time. It really was. It tells us that we would still be in our sins and not forgiven. That rather than having a hope for the future, we wouldn't have a hope. And that we would be, of all men, most miserable and to be pitied. I'm building 1 Corinthians 15, but we get to verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of those that sleep. And so people will come up with various theories to deny the resurrection. The swoon theory, for instance. Well, he never died in the first place. Really? How about you going through the crucifixion and surviving? And then, of course, the empty tomb theory that the disciples and the women went to the wrong place. 
Well, why didn't somebody go to the right place and produce the body? I mean, it's easier, friends, to believe in what we believe than what those people are putting out there to deny it. And there have been many people over the years that have set out to disprove the resurrection and become convinced. Lee Strobel, who became uh, part of the leadership at uh, a great church in North America, uh, a uh, very, very significant journalist, legal journalist that worked for the Chicago Tribune for many, many years, set out with his atheistic mind to disprove that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and became a believer. One of the great classics of Christian literature is Frank Morrison's book on Who Moved the Stone?, Again, an American lawyer that set out forensically and uh, with that mind that looked at every detail to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Frank emerged to become a great believer. He found that facts are stubborn things. And friends, this morning we stand here not on a myth or a fantasy, but on something incredible. A.W. Tozer, a great leader of the Christian church in the last century, says the resurrection of Christ and the empty tomb are not <clears throat> a part of the world's... Co- complex and continuing mythologies this is not a tale this is history and this is reality and so the truth began to dawn on the women in their perplexion in their bewilderment as the angels declared out again he is not here he is risen and they remembered the words of Jesus for example in Luke chapter 9 when he said that the son of God would be delivered into the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again and he all began to fit into place and thirdly a morning of revealing the women went back to the other apostles and says he's not there and we've been told by the angels that he's not there because he's risen from the dead and initially they sort of oh yeah right but Peter who just days before had betrayed his lords and denied that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, as people said, you're one of Peter's, the Lord's followers, aren't you? And the Bible reveals to us that he denied him with oaths and cursings. And as the cock crow for the third time, he went out to the dead of night and wept bitterly. He's the first back to the tomb. He ran back, saw the strips of, ground, uh, uh, of cloth on the ground and realized that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. And that was the starting point of Jesus revealing himself, the Bible says, by many infallible proofs over 40 days between resurrection and ascension, to show himself without doubt to be alive. And it gives us a little insight, friends, into the, 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 the final resurrection day. People say, how's it, gonna, how's it all going to work out? What are we going to be like? And, and, the, and the Bible only gives us certain insights, but we will one day, friends, have a body that's fit for the eternal day, where we live as a winsome community, in the perfection of what God's ordained for us to sit around the throne and worship God and to live out for him. And so Jesus begins to reveal himself. And later on in, in uh, Luke's gospel, um, as the Peter and the disciples are making the way to the empty tomb, Jesus comes alongside two disciples that are walking the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And he begins to talk to them. And again, they're down. They're at a loss. They're bewildered. They're perplexed. And he begins to speak to them about his resurrection. And the incredible thing, friends, was that many of these disciples and apostles that Jesus revealed himself to would pay the ultimate sacrifice in following 
their lords. The Bible says that he appeared to two. And then a little bit later in Luke, he appeared, 24, he appeared to all of the group. And then on another occasion, he appeared again to a few. And one occasion, he appeared to over 500 at one time, showing himself to be alive. As we close, we've reflect, reflected rightfully on Friday, just a wonderful arena, Good Friday service. And it's right that we do that because we cannot enter into the triumph and blessing and joy of the Resurrection Sunday without first appropriating all that the cross means to our lives. Indeed, without that, there is no forgiveness of sins. But also, without the resurrection, the cross is rendered powerless and pointless. So I'm going to ask you to draw four responses from Jesus revealing himself, following on from that beautiful morning as he spoke to these two disciples going to Emmaus. Number one, unlike those people initially, God wants us to have open eyes. Open eyes. There's a song that we sing that says, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul prays that the eyes of our heart may be opened. You know, I've met some people over Christian ministry that, physically speaking, have been totally blind. But the eyes of their heart have been wide, wide open. And we've all been on the end of the chide as Christians. Oh, yeah, you're one of them that's seen the light, aren't you? Well, it's true. It's true. And the prayer this morning, friends, is we would have open eyes. If you've never seen that it was for you that you'd see it this morning and that each of us would have a wide eye to see all the destiny that sits over our lives and how God takes hold of ordinary people and uses them in extraordinary ways you are not defined by your past or your postcode you are not defined about what people have spoken over your life God wants to bring you to a place of open-eyed reality to see that all that he wants to do in you not only open eyes, but open minds. I'm sorry when Christianity is portrayed as though somehow you've got to not think. And it's not for people that like to think. That is not the case, friends. And we're here this morning, not only having spiritually, but intellectually processed the truth of the resurrection. But don't let your heads, don't let your intellect, don't let your thinking push you back on that wonderful relationship with God. You see, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely compelling. And you ignore it at your peril. And then open hearts. Because their hearts were closed to God. And it was only as Jesus began to bro- break the bread in their home that their eyes began to be opened and their hearts began to respond to him. Someone wrote friends that to stay tight as a bud is far more painful a risk than to allow yourself to open up and flower and blossom i wonder if your heart's been closed it's been shut down it's been locked down and god says this morning will you allow that heart to open up from that tight bud to flower and blossom into what god has intended it to be and then finally open mouths 
Because Jesus later in Luke 24 talks to the disciples and says, wait for the promise, the power from on high. Go to Jerusalem and wait there a time. And when the power from on high comes to you, you will be witnesses for me. That word witness in the original language is where we get our word martyr from, martyrs. And here we are, friends, just just in recent times, just in recent days, just in the last few days where we have people that follow the faith, literally still in a 21st century civilized society, paying the ultimate price for following Jesus Christ. That may never be our requirement, but what God has called the Christian church to do in these days, lovingly, graciously, sincerely, passionately, is for us to gather together in context like this and then to take the message into the world that God has opened up for us and to declare that Jesus Christ is alive and alive forevermore. Oh, what a beautiful morning. It really, really was. It was a morning, friends, where there was a start of some wondering. But then a morning of declaring the amazing eternal truth of Jesus being risen from the dead and it became a morning of revealing And God's here this morning, and through the worship and through the songs and through just the sense of us being here, God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants those curtains, those shades, those shadows to be taken away and for you to really get it. And when you get it, there's nothing else that you want to do in all of the world than to follow him. You may say, Phil, I couldn't possibly keep it up. Here's the good news. Because resurrection not only gives us an example to follow, but it gives us the power of his risen presence to live an overcoming life. It was a beautiful morning then. I pray that it will be a beautiful morning for every one of us today and that we'll live in the power of resurrection life. Amen.